became just one word, Stockton and Malone. Uh, just over and over, Stockton and Malone, Stockton and Malone. It's just one word. And I said to Megan, you know, it's really just one word, Tim and Megan, because uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lost without her. And I'm so thankful uh, for the wife that God has given to me and, and the privilege it is to serve the Lord uh, in evangelism with her. Well, we're going to take our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to go tonight. Uh, so thankful you're here on a Monday night and want to encourage you to keep on praying and, uh, and invite and pray that, uh, that for somebody that you can invite this week. Uh, I'm praying that God will give me some people that I can invite to the services this week and, and uh, maybe someone in the church that doesn't typically come uh, here on you know, evening services. Maybe you want to give them a call and say, hey, why don't you come uh, tomorrow night? And uh, God uh, does want to do a work in all of our hearts, and so I'd encourage you uh, to, uh, to pray about inviting somebody this week. Maybe you already have invited somebody. Uh, pray for another one, and uh, just seek the Lord on that. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 13, and uh, this uh, I have several life verses, and this is becoming a life verse for me. And, and they're verses, uh, as you read through the scriptures, that just seem to jump off at the page. Uh, that you don't even need to study them out, you don't need a commentary, you don't need anything else before conviction settles upon your heart. And uh, certainly this is true in this verse right here. And we're in Matthew chapter 13, and, in, and look at verse number 58. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is Jesus Christ who is going to his earthly hometown of Nazareth, and he says he, he wants to do those many mighty works, but he didn't because of their sin of unbelief. Now, Jesus has just finished speaking at uh, the Sea of Galilee uh, about the parables of the sower, and, and he is now entering into his earthly hometown, the town of Nazareth. Now again, as I'm reading this passage, I uh, immediately my mind goes to those exact places. I have been to the Sea of Galilee. I have been to the town of Nazareth. We pick it up in verse 53, and it says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. And that just uh, strikes me as well. How could they be offended in the one who loves them and knows them the most? And, but Jesus saith and said unto, him, unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Now, and then it says he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And he's here going on a Saturday to the, uh, the Sabbath, to the synagogue. And uh, I have been uh, to the synagogue. That, uh, you see all the different ruins and things around the town of Nazareth. And, and there's no commerce there. Uh, you can see, you can walk on the same streets that Jesus walked on. Or as one of my friends says, you run where Jesus walked. Because you're just moving from one thing to the next to the next. And uh, it's busy when you get out there. There's so much to see. It's hard to take it in. It's like drinking from a, a fire hydrant. And uh, I like to go again. But, but uh, here he comes on on this Saturday. This is their uh, church service, if you will. Now, we don't meet on a Saturday anymore. Why is that? Uh, because of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 7. We now celebrate the resurrection of Christ every Sunday. 
I know that uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is coming up, but every Sunday we're really celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this guest speaker, they know him, they've seen him grow up, they know his family, but they become so astonished at the wisdom of this man's words. They do not believe that he is Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah. They have this sin of unbelief. And this sin of unbelief is all around us today. Uh, you and I, we suffer so much from the sin of unbelief. They were just kind of going through the status quo. Now, God did do some mighty works, but He wanted to do so much more in the town of Nazareth. I wonder if God looks at your life, and He's done some great things, but God says, I want to do so much more in your life. There are still more things that I want to accomplish in and through you. Oh, I see it in my own life. God wants to do so much in and through me. I'm just going to pause right here. I mean, you think of, of uh, what God has done uh, here at, in Fernley, Nevada. I've known your pastor. I don't know when I met him. When did you come to Ambassador? 97. I came in 98. And so uh, I've known him that long. Now, we didn't really talk. I was very shy and quiet. But I've known him all this time. And I remember when uh, when they started out in deputation, they said, we're going to go to Fernley, Nevada. And I'm like, what? Fernley, Nevada? Uh, now, I knew Fernley. Uh, we would drive to Kansas every year. And with my family, we would, uh, I, I remember, I know right where Fernley was at when he said it. And I'm like, wow, Fernley, Nevada. And uh, going to go start a church. And, you know, here is uh, this, uh, uh, you know, guy who's a facilities manager at some point, And, and, uh, and uh, you had the three-year Bible diploma, right? Uh, and so you think, well, what, how's God going to do that? You know, what's going to happen there? You know what? God's done some incredible things. I mean, 15 years, you know, and we're, we're talking to lunch today, and just some of the blessings that God has done. And you, you go back, uh, uh, let's see, 98, I don't want to go back that far, uh, you know, 20-something plus years ago, it would, it would absolutely blow his mind what God has done in and through them. Hey, you're going to be pastoring. <laughs> for 15 years at Grace Baptist Church, you're going to see souls saved. I'm just going to pause for a little bit. You think about what God's done in Brandy Kilby's life. <laughs> I mean, you know, we were talking about that. I mean, that's just, that's impossible. You, know, you wouldn't think that Brandon Kilby would be at Ambassador Baptist College in North Carolina, you know, training to be an evangelist. You wouldn't have thought that several years ago, but that's what God's done. Oh, He wants to do those many mighty works. He wants to do things in your life as well. And so often we stifle Him because of our sin of unbelief. I mean, in my own life, God's done some amazing things. And even as I've been in evangelism, God's been stretching me. The last couple of years, He's really has stretched me. And He's like, you know, the Lord didn't speak only, but it's like, Tim, I'm not done with you yet. Tim, there's still some great things I want to do in and through you. Oh, we've seen God do some great things. God's not done yet. God's not done with Grace Baptist Church. God's not done with you. Other people have gone on before us. Uh, there are people, I had a, a pastor, one of my former pastors recently passed away. His race is done. But I'm still here. You're still here. There's still things God wants to do through you. He looks at the town of Nazareth, and though he did some mighty works, he wanted to do so much more in and through them. God wants to do so much more in and through you. I think of as A.W. Tozer was talking to Leonard Ravenhill, and he said, you know, Lynn, when we get to the, to the judgment seat of Christ, we'll look at all of the riches 
that we could have had in Christ. All that Christ wanted to do through us and in us, and yet will arrive as almost a pauper or a beggar. You know, sometimes we, uh, and I was praying earlier today, and I uh, sometimes I, I become a, 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 thermo, a thermometer, a thermostat, and uh, have that thermometer where I just go to whatever the temperature is. I, I, I tend to have that, uh, I don't know, tendency or whatever. I'm just going to go with whatever the temperature is of that church. And I remember when I first started evangelism, I did a lot of pulpit supply, and that's what I was treated as, as pulpit supply. And God's like, Tim, I haven't called you as pulpit supply. I've called you to be an evangelist. You know, an evangelist is a thermostat gift. It sets the temperature. I'm not, not just to go with whatever the, the thermometer, whatever the temperature is. No, I need to set the temperature. And uh, I remember when God showed that to me, and, and, uh, and sometimes I just kind of get back into that, and I was praying, and I'm like, Lord, you've called me to be a ther- thermostat. You know, we, we look at our Christianity in America, and you know what we do? We compare our Christianity with other American Christianity. God hasn't called us to American Christianity. God's called us to biblical Christianity. We get this thermos thermometer, we're like, okay, well, as long as we're just doing this much, maybe a little bit better than some other Christians, then we're fine. No, God's called us to so much more. God's called us so much greater heights uh, than, than we can even imagine. And so uh, God wants to do so much here in the town of Nazareth, but they had the sin of unbelief. It says there that they were astonished at his words. Uh, when's the last time you were astonished at the word of God? Where the word of God just just overwhelmed you, that it just it, uh, you were uh, just so excited maybe about what God spoke to you about or so convicted about what just reading the Scriptures. When's the last time you just amened a, a verse that was read? Uh, there was a man in our church uh, named John, and John, John Dozal, uh, he's in heaven now, but uh, John uh, came to our church and he had messed up his life in drugs and alcohol. His mind was just all messed up. He would say these repeated phrases that didn't make any sense. And, and uh, my pastor was so patient with him. Uh, if, if something's not fixed within five minutes, I want to move on. I did not have the patience for John. And uh, John was one of these guys, I'm not sure how to quite say this, but he just would drain me. And uh, I could only take so much of being around John. And so he would just say these repeated phrases, but another man in our church began to disciple him. And, uh, and it turns out he wasn't saved, and he got saved. He started memorizing verses. It was amazing, the change in John's life. Like, even mentally, where he would stop saying these repeated phrases and begin to make more sense. And God began to do a tremendous work in his life. I remember uh, one day, he sh- he'd always show up in t-shirt, jeans, and ratted tennis shoes. And uh, one day, he showed up in a shirt and tie, a suit, and ratted tennis shoes. And uh, I said, wow, John, you look sharp. And he says, hey, Tim, God's done so much on the inside. He says, I want everybody to see it on the outside. He says, you've seen it, Tim. You've seen God change my life. I said, oh, yes, John, I have. I've seen God change your life. And, and, uh, and I said, John, where'd you get the suit? He didn't want to tell me. And, uh, and I said, where'd you get it, John? He says, I got a Goodwill. I said, how much did you pay for it? He didn't want to tell me. I said, come on, John, how much did you pay for it? He said, $7. I said, John, you got a great deal on that suit. And so uh, he became one of our ushers, and somebody bought him a pair of uh, brand-new dress shoes. And, and uh, he began to, to become more of a blessing than a drain. Like he would tell me, Tim, whenever our, our schedule would be in the bulletin, and he'd say, Tim, whenever you're not here at faith, please know that I'm praying for you. 
And uh, he began to become just such a blessing to us. I remember I was on the, the right side of the uh, Auditorium Admissions Conference, and uh, Pastor Dave Tice was preaching. And, and we, uh, I, I remember he just, I was looking over, and there was John in the, in the middle row. And, and uh, Dave Tice just mentioned a reference to a scripture. Did not mention the scripture itself, but just mentioned a reference. And here's John with his Bible and his notepad, and, uh, and, and immediately when he hears that reference, he writes something on his notepad, flips through his Bible, writes something else, he's still listening to the preacher, then flips back to the text where the preacher was at. And I thought to myself, I remember when I was like that. I remember when I was hungry for the Scriptures. Give me a reference. I'll look it up. And as I watched John and the passion that he had for God's Word, God's soul smote my heart with conviction. Tim, you need to get back to that. You need to have that passion just as a newborn bay desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. When's the last time you were astonished at God's Word? We find here in verse 58, it says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now this word he, these two letters represent, in this verse represents the God of eternity the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of all ages, the Creator of the heaven and the earth, the One by whom all things are held together, they consist. The God uh, of all ages, the One who every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. The One who is omniscient, He's all-knowing. The One who is omnipotent, He's all-powerful. And the One who is omnipresent, He's all-present. The one who said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That means if he has all power, there's nothing left. (laughs) He says, I'm the great I am. I'm the one that's faithful and true. That's his very name, Revelation 19.11. He is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. The one who will die upon the cross, shedding his blood for your sins and for mine. The one who will show more power than any who have ever gone before him and any who will ever go after, and that is resurrection power, rising again on that third day. Jesus Christ, who is omnipotent, all-powerful, did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This uh, sin of unbelief uh, hindered what God really desired to do in and through them. Uh, This sin of unbelief, uh, what is it? Uh, Well, a belief is what you accept to be as true, but the sin of unbelief is rejecting what God says is true. That's the sin of unbelief. It's rejecting what God says is true. Now, this sin of unbelief is all around us today. Uh, This sin of unbelief, we think, well, God can't do certain things. And Megan just sang uh, that song, Is There Anything Too Hard for God? Jeremiah 32, 32, 32.17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. What's on your prayer list that only God could get credit for? What's on your prayer list that has seemed so impossible? We, I've got a, a place on my prayer list of impossible prayers. I mean, one of those, I'd mentioned it yesterday, my mom, who was diagnosed with the third deadliest cancer in the world, given two to six months to live, and uh, two years ago. And, right, and the cancer is still there, but it has not spread. And it's incredible. It's impossible what God has done in giving my mom some more time. I've got another one on my prayer list, which is my, Megan's grandfather who lives in Oregon. He's a Jewish man. He is the, the hardest person I know to come to a saving knowledge of Christ just personally. 
And uh, last month, we were able to visit him. Uh, honestly, I don't like to visit him. He's a uh, he's a, just a, a, a crass old man, and, and uh, he's just hard to be with. And I haven't seen him in many years. And we had a visit with him that was the best visit I've ever had with him. He was so kind. Uh, he even said to me, he was asking me that, you know, how I'm doing. And he doesn't understand, of course, evangelism and things like that. But, but he says, wow, Tim, he says, uh, he says, I'm very proud of you. And I'm like, what? Who are you? And what have you done with Megan's grandfather? And, and, uh, and you know, we had such a great time. And it gave me so much hope. Like, wait, this, this could happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm praying. I'm asking God to work in his heart uh, and so on. What's on your prayer list that's impossible? That only God could get credit for. God wants to do those impossible things. He's the God of the impossible. Uh, now, this sin of unbelief, uh, it is the, the, the root of all sin. It is the worst sin of all. Uh, Spurgeon had a, a ver- had a message on this matter of the sin of unbelief. Uh, he says, uh, is it not a sin for a creature to doubt the word of its maker? Is it not a crime, an insult to divinity? For me and Adam, a particle of dust, to dare to deny his words? Is it not the very summit of arrogance and the extremity of pride for a son of Adam to even say in his heart, God, I doubt your grace. God, I doubt your love. God, I doubt your power. He said, oh, sirs, if, 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 uh, uh, if you'd believe me, uh, he said, uh, so I'm going to get back to my place here. He said, if you could take, uh, if you could roll all the sins into one mass, if you could take murder, blasphemy, lust, adultery, fornication, and everything that is vile, and unite them in one vast globe of black corruption that would not even equal the sin of unbelief. This is the worst of all sin. It is the root of all sin. When God has given us uh, thousands of times uh, proof of His faithfulness, that you can trust Him with all of your heart. He's commanded us to trust Him with all of our heart. And the reason why you don't trust God is because you're not close to Him. You're not walking with Him. You know, As you get to know somebody, uh, you'll find out, hey, you know what, there's some people I'd like to get closer to. I think I can trust this person. Sometimes you, get, you start to get close to somebody like, nope, I can't trust them. And uh, you, know, you start walking with God. You start uh, uh, spending time in His Word every day, spending time in prayer every day, the more you're going to trust Him. Because He is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faithful is He that calleth, you also will do it. My greatest, my greatest concern, my greatest fear was, can I trust God to mold me and make me to be an evangelist when I surrender the call to be an evangelist? And thousands of times over, yes. God, I can trust You. Uh, and if we don't trust Him, it's sin. If you're not trusting Him with all of your heart, that's disobedience. You're sinning against Him. When you're leaning to your own understanding, that's sin. Uh, that, that, you know, it's, it's not just a... I mean, that's one of the verses I remember. I don't know if it'll take the time to memorize, but I've had that on so many tests in Christian school. I've had it in so many tests in, uh, in Bible college. But more than that, I've had that those two verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, in the test of life. To trust Him with all of my heart. To not lean on my own understanding that in all my ways I would acknowledge Him and He would direct my paths. Not one time have I regretted trusting God. Not one time. And there have been times where it's like there's nothing to lean on. I remember the tent meeting we had uh, several years ago. Brandon came down for that and and, uh, helped us with one of the weeks. And and it was my turn up to preach. And I... 
uh, I, uh, I I was going to preach a certain message, and and it was actually going to be Luke 16, and uh, that was what I was planning on preaching. And the other evangelist that was working uh, was preaching in the meeting, uh, uh, Josh Lancaster. He says, "Hey Tim, what are you going to be preaching on?" Uh, and I said, "Well, I think I'm going to preach on Luke 16 and and uh, the rich man of Lazarus." And he says, "Oh, he says that's what I'm thinking about preaching on my next time." And uh, he says, when are you, when are you preaching? I, I said, uh, Monday. I said, when are you preaching? He says, Tuesday. And he says, well, I guess you, guess you got a first shot at it. And I said, well, keep praying. I said, I don't know if God wants me to do that. And, and uh, then Sunday night, Evangelist Dwight Smith got up and he preached John or, uh, Luke 16, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And both Josh and I looked at each other and said, well, Dwight beat us to it. So, but, uh, but I prayed about it and the Lord didn't leave me to preach on that. But I remember the Lord changed the message on me is what he wanted what he wanted me to preach and I'm looking at my notes of this message and they're just junk. And uh, I wrote down five sentences. Now I'm not a very good uh just get up there and, and just start preaching. I need a lot of notes and things. And I said, God, I don't I don't have it tonight. And there's going to be so many lost people that are going to be there. And I spent uh, much time with the Lord in prayer and never in my life uh, that night uh, I I just spent the night in prayer, but but uh Never had I seen so clearly heaven and hell, God versus Satan. And uh, we got to the service that night, and there was a lady that was there, and Dwight Smith came up to me, and he says, Tim, I think that lady's demon-possessed. I said, oh, I believe she is. And he says, don't let that scare you. And I said, oh, I'm not scared right now. Uh, I'm pretty bold in God. I'm like, I've never seen a demon cast out. Let's go. You know, I was just bold because, I mean, the devil's a defeated foe, and and uh, that night, uh, God just really worked, even in the music time. And, and we had a testimony time, and it was this preacher that was just the uh, God rescued him from drugs and alcohol. And, and it was just a powerful service. And I got up there, and I said, God, I've got nothing. I've got five sentences. I, don't, I mean, I read the text. I'm praying, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to say next. I don't have an introduction. I don't know how I'm going to conclude all this. And the Lord, once I got done praying, the Lord's like, okay, now Tim, right here. Now to here. Now to here. Now to here. And I had nothing to lean on, but he was there. And that night we saw our first soul come to know Christ as their Savior. Oh, it was a powerful night. Oh, I've never regretted trusting God with all of my heart. And anything less than that, he demands everything, all. And trust and surrender go hand in hand. It's full surrender. It's full trust. God, I'm giving you everything. I've never regretted trusting God. I have always regretted when I haven't. I've always regretted when I've leaned to my own understanding. And so this sin that of, of unbelief, uh, it is the most, most heinous of all sins. The sin of unbelief, Spurgeon goes on to say, dishonors God. Every other crime touches God's territory, but the sin of unbelief aims a blow at His divinity, impeaches His veracity, His truth, denies His goodness, blasphemes his attributes, maligns his character. Therefore, God of all things hates first and chiefly the sin of unbelief wherever it is. He goes on to say faith fosters every virtue, but the sin of unbelief murders every virtue. Thousands of prayers have been strangled in their infancy because of the sin of unbelief. Oh, God wants us to pray. And so often we, we pray such low prayers. As one of my friends says, we pray in question marks. We need to be praying in exclamation points. I mean, praying big prayers because we have a big God that can do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. 
according to the power that worketh within us. Why? Why would he do this unto him be glory? In the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end, amen. You say, all right, if I'm going to pray some big prayers, then I'm going to pray that uh, I'll win the lottery. You're probably not going to get that one, all right? Uh, you have not because you ask not, but you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. A lot of our praying is selfish praying. Our praying, our, the greatest, highest motivation is the glory of God. That's the greatest motivation. Somebody say, well, I like to, uh, you know, I, I think of a, a lady that's, you know, praying for her husband to get saved. And, you know, why, why would you want to, your husband to get saved? Well, if my husband got saved, then it would be a whole lot better for my life and for my kids. Yeah, it would. That'd be great. Uh, you know, we could go to church together. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. And it you know, sure make my life a lot easier. Yep, that's, that's good. But is there a higher motivation than that? What about the price that Jesus Christ paid in the cross for that man's soul? What about how God could get great glory uh, out of his life and use him a trophy as his grace? And God even tested me with that with my mom. God, I'm praying that you'll heal my mom. Why? You know, Paul says that Christ may be magnified by either by my death or by my life. And eventually I had to get God whatever it takes. And God, if you're going to get greater glory out of taking my mom here in just a few months, then do that. Lord, whatever will give you the greatest glory. But God, if, if you can get greater glory by, by giving her more life, would you do that? God, whatever would bring you the most glory, and God certainly has glorified Himself through my mom's life. God wants to glorify Himself through your prayer life. See, it's not just the pastor's praying. It's not just my praying. God wants to do impossible things in and through your life, your prayer life, to pray those big prayers. Unbelief has been guilty of infanticide. It's murdered many an infant petition. Many a song of praise that would have swelled the chorus of the skies has been stifled by an unbelieving murmur. Many a noble enterprise, conceited in the heart, has been blighted out before it could be brought forth by the sin of unbelief. Many a man would have been a missionary who would have stood and preached his master's gospel boldly, but he had the sin of unbelief. I, again, I think of Brandon, I think of others. You know, you know what it takes for Brandon to go to North Carolina? Faith. The guy in our church, Antonio, he got saved a few years ago. He's there now. You know what it's taken him to go to, to Bible college? Faith. It takes faith to serve God. It takes faith to honor God. God uh, is honored by faith, and, and faith honors God. But the sin of unbelief robs God of His glory. His unique excellence is tarnished in our view. And to reject the truth of God is to believe the lie. And it is the root of all sin. There is no sin as great as a sin of unbelief. This, every sin that you and I commit is rooted in the sin of unbelief. Now, I'm going to tell you one of my besetting sins. You say, uh-oh, preacher. You know what my, one of my besetting sins is? is fear. Where is that tied into? The sin of unbelief. You, know, you get through that and the anxieties, the worries, and you start thinking about situations. Someone say, you know what worry is? Worry is emotional atheism. You're acting as if God does not exist. You're looking at that situation without God. Put God in that, in that uh, uh, equation. Put God in that situation. Yeah, when my mom got diagnosed, all those fears started coming. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, God's here. God's in this. God can get great glory. God's got us. This doesn't surprise Him. 
He knows what He's doing. I'm just going to trust Him. And so this sin of unbelief, it's rooted in everything. It, uh, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, which is uh, right after Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith chapter, wherefore, wherefore lay apart, lay aside every sin and the weight which does so easily beset us. What is the sin? It's the sin of unbelief in context. And so this sin of unbelief is the root of all sin. I've got to hurry, but God changed my life. I've mentioned this before many years ago through this verse. And I was studying this out uh, one year and I was making it my theme verse. And I was pouring in on every single word of this verse. Just every day in devotions, I just focused on one word. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to the place, it says, and he did not many mighty works there, that first there. And I'm thinking about the town of Nazareth. And uh, many years ago, uh, my, my wife was working a job, and you, many of you probably remember that. Uh, she worked for 7-Up Bottling Company, and, and uh, we used to bring uh, Pastor Peach Snapple. We are not able to do that anymore. But, uh, you know, we, my wife would work a job, and I would, you know, we'd travel in evangelism, and, and uh, it got to the place. I mean, she was taking vacation time for us to do meetings, or I would do the meetings myself. And, uh, you, know, you know, wouldn't have the piano player, wouldn't have the, the kids' meetings and things, and... And so it was just a, a very hard time, but I was trying to figure out the finances of the evangelist, and you'll never figure that out. Uh, you just have to go by faith. And I couldn't live off of what Megan was making. They, she, we couldn't live off of what I was making. And I didn't know how we were going to work this out, but God was speaking to us about breaking off her job. And I was pouring in on all of the sin of unbelief. Most evangelists, where are they at? Back east? Midwest? I'm in California. Most expensive places to live. <laughs> Churches are farther spread apart. Gas is more expensive. And I'm pouring in on all these things, all these sins of unbelief. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I'm going to hit this right now. You know, and, and sometimes I was, I was talking to a... Uh, Lord, I don't remember the other part. Uh, I, was ta- I, was, I was preaching about a church, talking about a church one time in Kansas that God absolutely revived and really revived that whole town. And I was in a small church, a small town, and and kind of similar situation. And the pastor got up and he said, uh, how many of you think when Brother Schmidt told that story that God can't do that here? And half the congregation raised their hand. And I thought, oh man, we're in trouble. And uh, the pastor later on t- t- uh, confessed to me. He says, Tim, I asked that question because I was thinking the same thing. Well, God did that there, but he can't do it here. And it's almost like we're saying, God, we need someone bigger than you to help us in our church. When you go through a situation and you have that sin, I need someone bigger than God to help me with my circumstance, with my situation. Oh, we need someone bigger than God to help us in the state of California. We need someone bigger than than God to help us win with the country of America. It's almost like we're saying, God, you lied when you said in Isaiah chapter 40 that the nations are but a drop in a bucket compared to you. Because the nations are so much bigger than you, God. That's what the sin of unbelief says. And he goes on to say the nations are counted as nothing. How big is our God? How great is our God? I've met some people that have gone through some tremendously, uh, tremendous hardships. And I can say to every single one of them that God is bigger than the circumstance that you're facing. God is bigger than anything you and I will ever face. I don't know what the future holds for me, but I know that my God is bigger than anything that I'll ever face. I had that sin of unbelief, and God was so convicting my heart about about uh, uh, you know, taking uh, 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 getting rid of Megan's job. And 
And, and I'm looking at that word there and how God had passed in the town of Nazareth. Now again, God does not speak to me audibly, but He oppresses it upon my heart. And as I'm thinking about how Jesus passed on the town of Nazareth because of their sin of unbelief, and God so spoke to my heart, Tim, you stay stuck in your sin of unbelief, I'm going to pass on you. I don't have to use you in evangelism. I want to use you, but you stay stuck in your sin of unbelief, I'm going to pass on you. I said, God, I don't want you to pass on me. I want you to use me. I don't want to be stuck in the sin of unbelief. I want to launch out and you know, break off our job and have faith. And, and so we did that. And, uh, and I tell you what, I have been starving ever since. I've lost so much weight. <laughs> no, God's taken care of us. I think it's been uh, almost six years. And God has met all of our needs, even during COVID. <laughs> God took care of us. And, and I'm so, I mean, now I think to myself, I wish I would have done it earlier. I wish I would have just launched out earlier. Just said, God, I'm just going to trust you uh, with all of this. Because God has taken care of it. And, and uh, we've gotten many more meetings because I have had Megan. <laughs> uh, I've been with pastors on a Sunday. And, and uh, this has happened, I don't know, several different times. But the pastor's wife says to her husband, uh, you need to schedule Tim for revival meetings because I want to spend more time with Megan. <laughs> uh, that's happened several times since we've done the, this, this last six years. And, and, uh, and so God so has, has blessed. You know, I've never regretted taking a step of faith. I've never regretted trusting God. Maybe there's some things that God has put in your heart. Maybe there's some things you're struggling with and God's calling you. You know, you need to launch out. You need to just take that step of faith and trust me. Just surrender and say, God, I'm all in. I'm going to take this step of faith. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's so much. Uh, we, yeah, God is so much greater, so much bigger. You want to honor God? You want to please God? Then have faith. Many years ago, I told about this couple. And uh, we were, it was around the same time we were breaking off Megan's job, and I was filling in for a pastor in Pleasanton, California, right near uh, uh, Oakland, California. And I'd never been to the church before. The pastor was, uh, uh, had, had, uh, I'd met him about a month, or uh, I don't know, maybe six months before that. And, and so I get to the church, and the first guy that greets me, uh, he says, Hi, I'm Pastor Quentin. I mean, Pastor uh, uh, Bryson. And, uh, and I said, no, you're not. You're not Pastor Bryson. I said, I know who he is. And, and uh, he says, yeah, you're right. So my name's Mike Quentin. He says, I'm one of the Sunday school teachers here. And, and uh, he says, I'm, uh, we're scheduled to uh, take you out to dinner tonight, and, and we're going to take you to Sonic. That way you can stay in your car, and we'll stay in ours. And, uh, and I'm like, man, you know, I just met this guy, and he's the cut up in the church and, and, uh, and so on. He loves to pick on people. And and that morning I preached, and uh, then that night I preached again. And, the, and when we got done, uh, we go with the Quintons. We didn't go to Sonic. We go to a restaurant. And, and uh, Mike Quinton, he says, you know, when you preached this morning, I thought, this is the guy. This is the couple we've been praying for. And then you preached tonight. And I thought, nope, he is not the guy. And, uh, and I'm like, what did I do tonight? And, and I said, what are you talking about? And he says, well, he says, I've been praying for several years that God would send someone to go to Mesquite, Nevada, and start a church. And when I heard you preach this morning, I thought, this is it. You're the guy to go start this church. But then you talked about your call to be an evangelist tonight. And I thought, nope, he's not a church planner. He's an evangelist. And uh, he says, you're not the guy. And he began to tell me a story. He got saved when he was 29 years old. Got very involved in church. And he says, and then I got what people called burned. And he says, I quit. I gave up on church. I gave up on church for over 20 years. 
he was in the army, and then he uh, got out and was a fire captain uh, there in Pleasanton. And uh, not, I mean, he's a firefighter through and through. That was his love. And uh, he uh, retired from the fire department, he says, two years ago. And, and he says, I was sitting in a rocking chair doing a crossword puzzle, and I thought, God, you want more out of my life than this? I'm not here to just sit back and relax. God, I want you to use me. He began to volunteer his time at the church and began to be part of Pastor's 100 Club. I said, what's that? He says, that's where you knock on 100 doors a week. I said, you knock on 100 doors a week? He says, yeah, I do. 71 years old. And uh, he loves studying the Bible. And, and just being there that Sunday, he, uh, many people love his Sunday school class because he just brings out so much of the Word of God. And, and, uh, and so we were talking, and, and uh, he says, yeah, uh, six years ago I was... Uh, just you know, as God went online, I began to watch Pastor Bryson and started hearing him preach. And, and I told my wife, I said, you know what, we need to get back into church. And he says, Tim, it feels so good to have a pastor again. And uh, they're just loving being there. And, and, uh, and he's talking about all these things. And, and I'm, we're driving to the restaurant, I'm in the passenger seat, and I'm thinking to myself, God, I know you don't want me, but I think you might want him. He isn't, he's never pastored. He didn't have a Bible college degree. But I just started thinking, God, I think you might want him. And he begins to talk about Mesquite, Nevada, and how they go to vacation in Utah every year. And they pass this town. He's just so burdened. Every time I, I pass it, I'm just so burdened that somebody would start a, a Baptist church in that town. And, uh, and then we get to the restaurant, and he says, uh, he says, Tim, he says, God was just so working in my heart that six months ago, about 2 a.m., I woke up, and I said, okay, God, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll start the church. He says, when I surrendered that to the Lord, he says, Tim, a peace just fled right over me. His wife, uh, Janine, 100% behind him. And uh, they, at a time when it should be, uh, you know, everything should be settled, retirement. You know, they're, they're you know, living a great life. He's got a boat and nice house. All these things financially, they're just, they're set. Now God uproots all of that. And uh, sells his boat, sells his home. I remember he was crying. He says, Tim, I sold my home to a Korean couple that came to our church for a little while, but they left because they wanted to start a Korean independent Baptist church. And he began to cry. And he says, Tim, God's going to use our house to start that Korean Baptist church. And uh, he didn't go on deputation. He didn't do any of that. Uh, he went to Mesquite and, uh, and started Mesquite. Baptist Church. I remember he emailed me right after we had met each other, and we had a sweet time of prayer that night. Um, and uh, and we uh, he emailed me. He says, "Tim, I'm so we were so challenged by you and Megan's faith." And I replied back to him, "You know, we were breaking off our job." I said, "No, I'm challenged by your faith." And it was about a year and a half later. It takes you got to go to Mesquite on purpose. It takes a while to get to Mesquite, and it's a by the way, it's a, right near the border of Utah and Arizona, and uh, about an hour and a half, two hours east of uh, Las Vegas. And and uh, I remember going there uh, on a Sunday morning, and it's a storefront like this, and and I see over the uh, the sign is there Mesquite Baptist Church, and I walk in. There's about 30 people there. And I just thought impossible, impossible. What God's done with this couple in their 70s to start Mesquite Baptist Church. And uh, they, they just celebrated uh, this, this uh, I think it was this past Sunday, they just celebrated their fifth year of Mesquite Baptist Church. But uh, it wasn't last summer, it was a summer ago that uh, he called me up. And, and I'd gone there a couple of times and have preached and things. And, and uh, he's 
uh, you know, he has, uh, he's had a couple of heart attacks. Uh, his heart was working, I think, at 20% or so. And he says, Tim, I'm a ticking time bomb. He says, I don't know when my last day is going to be. And he said, I'm already looking for the next pastor. And, uh, and so he called me that summer, and we were scheduled to be there in August, October. And he says, Tim, I, I've got some sad news to tell you. I've got some bad news to tell you. He says, uh, I've got cancer. He says, I don't just have, I've got stomach cancer. I've got kidney cancer. He says, I've got brain tumors that are cancerous. He says, I'm, I'm dying. And I, I said, uh, you know, well, you, know, you want me to try to change it to where I can get there earlier? And he says, no, let's just keep it for October. And, and I wasn't able to change any dates to get, to get it up earlier, but we were there in October. And I remember seeing him, and he really pushed himself uh, to be there that Sunday. And, and he told me, he says, Tim, I think I preached my last message. And I've never had a pastor say that. It just struck me to my core. And uh, I preached that day. The next day, we went out to uh, Zion National Park and spent all day together. And he was in a lot of pain. Uh, and uh, you know, then we uh, hugged each other, said goodbye. And, and uh, 20 days later, God took him home. And uh, you know, God uh, has done so much uh, through that church. And they've got a new pastor there, a young man, 22 years old, uh, that they brought in during the time when he had cancer and things. God's done so much. Mrs. Quentin's still there, uh, serving in the church. And, and, I, and I look at that, that couple when they should just sit back, go with the status quo of America, and, uh, and just retire. But God was calling them to do something more. God was wanting them to, u- to use them in even greater ways than they could even imagine. And uh, we were talking about it today at lunch. I believe God brought, brought back the time they lost, those 20 years being able to be used to start Mesquite Baptist Church. You see, God honors faith. And faith honors God. You see, there's no pandemic that can stop the work of our God. There's no president that can preside over our God. There's no governor that can govern our God. There's no tower that is tall enough to overthrow our God. There's no wall that is wide enough to stop our God. There was no body of water big enough to slow down our God. They tried that at the Red Sea. There's no furnace fiery enough to consume our God. There's no den deep enough to devour our God. There is no death that is destructive enough to corrupt our God. There is no grave great enough to hold down our God. There is no venom that is vicious enough to paralyze our God. There is no giant that is big enough to scare our God. There is no sin that is seductive enough to seduce our God. There is no opposition that is omnipotent enough to beat our God. There is no problem that is perplexing enough to puzzle our God. There is no storm that is strong enough to stop our God. There is no sorrow that is shameful enough to stifle our God. There is no enemy that is enormous enough to overthrow our God. There is no decision that is difficult enough to doubt our God. And there is no soul that is lost uh, too lost to be found by our God. He didn't just know the way, he is the way. He didn't just know the answer. He is the answer. He didn't just have the key to the locked door. He is the door. He didn't just provide the solution. He is the solution. He didn't just give life. He is the life. He didn't just promise the resurrection. He is the resurrection. He didn't just say He is our Savior. He is our Savior. You can trust Him as your Savior. You can trust Him with your eternity. And you can trust Him with your today. Where are you sinning? the sin of unbelief. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll pray in a few moments. Where do you need to have faith? Where is it that God is specifically pointing out in your life that you need to have faith? That you're sinning the sin of unbelief? You say, preacher, God is showing me something specific in my life right now. That I have been sinning the sin of unbelief, and I want to get that right. I want to have faith. Would you please pray with me on that, preacher? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, you slip your hand.